Well, good morning again, everybody. Um, I am told that if I speak loudly enough, the microphone on the camera will pick me up and we won't have to turn off the air conditioning. So I'm going to speak loudly this morning. Some of you are probably wondering, why are we meeting here in the schoolhouse? I know uh, two young men uh, approached me this morning and said, are we just doing this because you want to preach a sermon about the schoolhouse, about our history, and about all this and that? And, a, and I said, yes, my two sons. <laughs> that, is, that is partially why we are here meeting in the schoolhouse instead of in the sanctuary this morning. Um, today is Memorial Day. And I thought it would be interesting for us to experience a service in the place where Morning Hour Chapel began. Uh, our church services began uh, here in this room in the 1950s. Um, and of course, we learned last week that Morning Hour Chapel uh, started as a Sunday school for children of the area in September of 1930, about 92 years ago. And of course, back then it wasn't called Victory Schoolhouse. It's called Victory Schoolhouse today. Uh, back then it was just called Germany Schoolhouse uh, because it's on Germany Road. Uh, that changed uh, years later. But East Berlin, Pennsylvania, was founded in 1764 when John Frankenberger purchased 200 acres from William Penn's sons and laid out 85 lots, one main street, four cross streets, and five alleys. And of course, we're talking now about the borough, which is right down the, the road here, and we consider ourselves part of East Berlin. But uh, John Frankenberger uh, actually founded the, the, the borough. And in 1800, York County was actually divided. It got too big uh, to manage. So a newly formed county, Adams County, was created. And East Berlin actually kind of sits at, at the northernmost part of Adams County, right next to York County. And by 1840, there were about 410 people living in East Berlin. We had um, two grist mills. Anybody know what a grist mill is? All right. Uh, you guys can ask Glenn or Roy after what a grist mill is. Uh, there was a fulling mill, which basically scoured and thickened wool. Uh, there were three taverns. Three stores, three apothecaries, two ch uh, schools, and only one church, and a library. During the Civil War, Confederate soldiers marched through East Berlin on June 30, 1863, plundering farms, stealing bread, um, and that date may be familiar to a few of you who are Civil War uh, aficionados. June 30th, 1863, because on July 1st, 1863, the Battle of Gettysburg started. In 1912, York Telephone and Telegraph first installed phone lines. In 1921, electric lights were installed on the streets. And in 1933, natural gas pipelines were built in East Berlin. East Berlin has also been home to a few notable people. One of those people is David Studebaker. Some of our older folks here might remember the Studebaker name, or if you're really into cars, you would know 
who Studebaker is. He was a relative of the automotive family Studebaker, and he lived here. There was one other man that I didn't know anything about until I started kind of researching for this morning. A man named George Kennan. Anybody heard of George Kennan? Glenn, of course, a couple of people have heard of George Kennan, uh, my historians. George Kennan was a diplomat who developed foreign policy that basically blunted Soviet expansion during the Cold War. So he was really heavily involved in um, making sure that the Soviet Union didn't grow bigger than it was uh, during that time. And he actually owned a second home here, and his daughter uh, actually lived in that house. And she ended up bringing in and protecting a woman named Svetlana Stalin. Yes, the daughter of Joseph Stalin. She defected to the United States, and the Kennan family kind of hid her out right here in East Berlin. I didn't know a lot of this history when I started. Did anybody know? A couple of you knew most of this stuff. It's, I mean, it's pretty incredible to look back and see the things that have happened through East Berlin. And of course, you know, I can't share everything. But some of you are like me. I love history, love reading about things. I like learning about things that have happened that basically kind of bring us to where we are today. And history is filled with these wondrous stories, these things that we see people doing that are good, things that they do for their fellow man. It's also filled with some pretty horrific stories, things that we just really don't like to think about all that often. And sometimes those stories, the good and the evil, kind of collide a little bit. I want to tell you a story about Private First Class Desmond Doss. He was a combat medic during World War II. He twice won the Bronze Star, which is awarded for heroism in combat, and he won the Medal of Honor for his heroic rescue of 75 men as they were attempting to take a hill in Okinawa in 1945. Desmond Doss, his story is made more incredible with the fact that he never carried a weapon in battle. Doss was a Seventh-day Adventist, and he believed the commandment, Thou shalt not kill, was to be taken literally, in all situations. But he joined the army because he felt that he needed to do something in support of his country. And the army made him a medic, because he refused to kill anybody, he refused to kill the enemy, he refused to carry a weapon into combat, so they made him a medic. His life is memorialized in a film you may have heard of, Hacksaw Ridge. And if you haven't seen it, it's an incredible, incredible story. Even my 14-year-old would agree it is a, an incredible movie. It's a sad fact that wars exist. Wars have existed since time began. Wars against individuals, wars against peoples, wars against nations. 
wars against schools, wars against churches. In the spiritual realms, war has been waging even longer. A war rages between God and Satan, between good and evil, and on this spiritual battlefield, there have been casualties. And this morning, we're going to look at the story of one man who became a casualty of spiritual war, very soon after the death of Jesus Christ. And we meet this man in the book of Acts, in chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now we could talk a lot about who the Hellenists were, who the Hebrews were, but this morning I want you to focus on this idea that things were being missed. Things were being neglected. As the church grew, and it had grown, first by 3,000 in one single day, and then by hundreds and hundreds and hundreds over the course of the weeks and months that followed, it had grown too big, and things were being missed. And the twelve apostles summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. We call the people who fulfill this duty in our church today deacons. And we have deacons here who are full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. You might talk to your deacon once a week, once a month. If you ever need your deacon, you know they'll be there. So the first deacon selected, according to the scripture, is a man named Stephen. And the Bible says that Stephen was a man full of faith and the Spirit. And Stephen was also a man of action. He served the church well. He served tables. He cleaned up. He did all of the things that the deacons were called to do. But he was also involved in sharing the gospel in Jerusalem. And in Acts 6-8, it says, Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. And this wasn't the people in the church. This was the people in Jerusalem, people who had not maybe heard yet of Jesus Christ or of his saving power. Stephen was ministering to these people. And while he was preaching the gospel, some of the Jews would stand up and try to dispute his theology. And they always came up short. They talked to him about doctrine. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. That's what the Bible says. They could not withstand it. Stephen was involved in these little skirmishes. We talk about war, we talk about these little skirmishes that happen here and there. And Stephen had his own, he had these people that were trying to attack what he was telling the people of Jerusalem and trying to, to, to knock him down, to stop him from preaching, to stop him from sharing Jesus Christ. And the enemy... Satan must have been furious because they couldn't find anything to refute 
what Stephen was saying. So in verse 11 of chapter 6 in Acts, they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. These were the accusations made against Stephen in this spiritual skirmish. Lies and half-truths and innuendo, all of the things that the enemy uses, these powerful weapons in his arsenal. Because we don't have to tell a full lie. We can tell a half-truth and still bring somebody down, can't we? So Stephen has been captured by the enemy and taken to the leaders, to the council. This council was called the Sanhedrin. And you might hear that word or read that word as you're reading scripture. The Sanhedrin was made up of 70 Pharisees and Sadducees for the purpose of making all of the legal decisions for the Jews. Anything that came up in Jerusalem was brought before this council. And they made decisions. And the high priest would preside over the council and he would even act as a tiebreaker should a vote come to 45 to 45. Uh, think of the council maybe as our uh, Supreme Court or our Senate, except they were the judge and the jury and the executioner. And Stephen was dragged before the Sanhedrin. Actually, I don't think he was dragged. I think he walked there very calmly of his own accord. They probably dragged him, but I think he would have been fine. And these accusations were made against him. And the last verse of Acts chapter 6 tells us something very interesting. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council, the Sanhedrin, the 70 that were going to judge him, all that sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. His face was the face of an angel. Remember when we met Stephen, when we, when we started talking about him earlier, we learned that he was a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. The Sanhedrin were seeing the Holy Spirit shining through Stephen. And we're not sure if they were dazzled. We're not sure if they were impressed. All we know is that in Acts chapter 7, verse 1, the only question that the high priest can come up with is, are these things so? That was it. That was the question. Are these things so? And Stephen spent the next 15 minutes speaking before the council. And that's not really right either. The Holy Spirit spent the next 15 minutes speaking to the council through Stephen. 
Stephen starts talking about the history of the people of Israel. He starts out with God telling Abraham, Leave your home and go to the place that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. He starts with that history. But we soon learn that the Holy Spirit was not really very pleased with the things that were happening to God's people, the people who would do the will of God. Because the Spirit skips ahead to when Joseph's brothers sold Joseph, a prophet of God, into slavery. And he was taken to Egypt. Now things happened to work out very well for Joseph and for his brothers and for the rest of his family. But a little bit later, the Holy Spirit tells the council about Israel's rebellion against Moses. We heard a little about Moses in the children's story this morning. Moses was a prophet of God, and he was used by God to rescue the people from slavery and to lead them to the land that God had promised Abraham centuries before. Because you see... When people do the will of God, when people are called and they do what God tells them to do, God's will will be done. Even throughout resistance. And man, the people of Israel resisted. They resisted a lot. But Moses still led them to the promised land. Now, of course... Israel decided not to do the will of God and ended up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. But they still ended up with Moses leading them back to that promised land. Holy Spirit goes on, he talks about the persecution and murder of all the other prophets. Everybody who came and spoke in the name of the Lord was persecuted or was killed. God was not very happy to see his messengers, the people through whom he was speaking, being tortured and persecuted and killed. The thing is, Stephen wasn't saying anything that the Sanhedrin didn't already know. They already knew these things. They could read about them in the scripture. They should have read about them in the scripture. They should have memorized the scripture as good little Jewish boys. They would have memorized most of what is in what we call the Old Testament. And Stephen, with his face shining like an angel, full of the Holy Spirit, was standing in front of all of the religious leaders, once again calling Israel to repentance, just like every prophet before him. And Stephen ends his testimony, or ends the Holy Spirit's testimony, in Acts 7, starting in verse 51. And he says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. And we've got to remember, this is the Holy Spirit talking. He knows what he's talking about. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? 
And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the Righteous One, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You, who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now, if we're reading this, and we're reading this as Stephen speaking, just Stephen talking off the top of his head, we might question the wisdom of calling the people who have our lives in their hands murderers and betrayers. We might question the wisdom of doing that, but this was the Holy Spirit that was making these accusations. This was the Holy Spirit that was telling 70 people plus the high priest who were sitting there at these tables, you are murderers, you are betrayers, you murdered the Messiah, the one you have been looking for, the one you have been told about. You have murdered him. The Sanhedrin did not like that very much. In verse 54 we read, Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. Have you ever been so angry with someone that you have literally ground your teeth at them? My wife has been so angry that she has ground her teeth. At other people, not at me, of course. Or have you made someone so angry that you look at them, and, they get this, and their, 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 their neck muscles get thrown and you try to See, you can't even understand what I'm saying. I'm grinding my teeth so much, I'm so angry. And when we get that angry, or when the other person gets that angry, the conversation is over. We're not continuing to talk to this person. They're not continuing to talk to us. One Bible commentator that I read this week said that it probably looked like they might have devoured Stephen alive. That's how angry they were. And of course, what were they doing? They were trying to intimidate Stephen. They were trying to get him to shut up. Some wives are liking that, apparently. <laughs> But as we read further, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at his right hand. Stephen didn't continue the conversation. There was no more talking to the Sanhedrin. He gazed into heaven and he saw the glory of God and he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried with a loud voice and they stopped their ears and they rushed together at him and they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. They thought he was speaking blasphemy. You don't just go up to people and say, I can see into heaven and there's God and then there's God's Son, Jesus. You don't say those things. Those are considered blasphemy. And if, and if what Stephen had said was blasphemy, their actions, what they did, 
grabbing him, taking him out of the city, stoning him. These were all supported by Levitical law. In Leviticus 24, 13-16, Then the Lord said to Moses, Take the blasphemer outside the camp. All those who heard him are to lay their hands on his head, and the entire assembly is to stone him. Say to the Israelites, anyone who curses their God will be responsible. Anyone who blasphemes the name of the Lord is to be put to death. The entire assembly must stone them, whether foreigner or native-born. When they blaspheme the name, they are to be put to death. This is what the Sanhedrin had learned. This is what they knew. This is what they believed. The problem is, they couldn't recognize the Holy Spirit. They couldn't recognize when God was speaking through someone. Stephen's face was shining like an angel. And that didn't impress them. Stephen wasn't blaspheming. Stephen was delivering a message right from God. They heard his words, but they couldn't hear that it was the Holy Spirit talking. They likely knew in their hearts that these words were true because the Holy Spirit convicts us when we have done things and when we are told that we have done things that are wrong and we get convicted in our hearts, but the enemy was blinded by anger. They were blinded by rage. They were treating their teeth like this. And they used that anger to kill yet another prophet. That's what they did. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, showed himself to be a disciple of Jesus Christ to his dying breath. He didn't fight back. He didn't beg for his life to be spared. He didn't try to run away. What he did is that he showed all of the people there exactly what Jesus had done when he had been arrested and nailed to a cross. He prayed just as Jesus prayed, Receive my spirit, he said, echoing Jesus' words, Into your hand, Father, I commend my spirit. And Lord, do not hold this sin against them, just as Jesus had prayed, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Stephen likely said these things because the Holy Spirit brought them to remembrance at that time. And he brought those words to remembrance at that time because the Holy Spirit wanted Stephen to feel peace. Today is Memorial Day. We remember 
and honor those who gave their lives to protect and defend the ideals of the United States. But perhaps on this Memorial Day weekend, we could also remember Stephen, who trusted God and allowed God to use his voice to share the gospel to men who ended up killing him for it. And perhaps we can remember the 180 Nigerian Christians who were killed in January 2012 because they were Christians. Or the 21 Coptic Christians who were beheaded on a beach at the Southern Mediterranean Sea in February 2015. A lot of you probably saw the videos or the images of 21 men in orange jumpsuits kneeling in front of many, many more men carrying swords. Perhaps we can remember the 29 people killed by a suicide bomber at Rotrasea Church in Cairo in December 2016 because they were gathered together to worship God and to confess Jesus Christ. The 26 people who were killed at the First Baptist Church in Sutherland Springs, Texas in November 2017 or any of the 4,700 Christians who were killed in 2021 alone for being Christian. That's according to Open Door USA. As we remember these disciples of Jesus Christ, I pray that we would also consider who we are in Christ. I pray that we will Consider whether our faith could stand up under persecution. Could our faith stand up against the threat of death that thousands and thousands of Christians face every single day around the world? I'm going to admit it to you. There are days, sometimes there are weeks, when I do not believe that my faith would be strong enough to stand up under persecution. There are days, there are weeks sometimes, when I don't think my faith would stand up under inconveniences. I have to ask myself... <coughs> Would I be willing to die for Jesus and for his sake as he died for me? Or would I back down? <coughs> would I beg for my life? And by doing so, would I grieve the Holy Spirit? because I refuse to stand up and say Jesus Christ is the way and the truth and the life and no one goes to the Father except through Him. All of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ ought to ask ourselves, am I willing to be inconvenienced for the sake of Jesus Christ? If I'm not willing even to be inconvenienced 
for the sake of Jesus Christ, I may as well sell my Bibles, take down all of those Christian signs that are hanging on my walls at home, get rid of the crosses that are sitting on our mantles and all over the place in the house. If I can't even be inconvenienced for Jesus, If I can answer yes, I can be inconvenienced for Jesus. I think I can handle that. The next question I have to ask myself is, am I willing to be persecuted for the sake of Jesus Christ? Am I, am I willing to lose my job? Am I willing to lose my friends? Am I willing to lose my family? Because of Jesus Christ. Because I will stand up for Him. I will preach the gospel The answer to that question is no, I need to reevaluate my faith. I need to reevaluate the things that are happening in my life. I need to take a hard look and say, what is more important to me than my faith in Jesus Christ? Jesus told us we can expect persecution. He said, they will hate you because they hated me first. They're going to hate us for being disciples of Jesus Christ. They're going to hate us. And we ought to be expecting that. We ought to expect to be hated. We ought to expect to be persecuted. And if we can stand up to persecution, we still need to go further and we need to ask ourselves, am I willing to die? For the sake of Jesus Christ. Am I willing to pick up my cross? To face whatever instrument of destruction the enemy has ready for me? And am I willing to follow Jesus Christ into death? As human beings answering these questions... Immensely difficult, if not impossible. Because there is nothing in us that says, Yes, I'm willing to die. But as disciples of Jesus Christ, each one of us filled with the Holy Spirit, when we face persecution, even when we face death, we can hold on to the promises of Jesus. That whoever loses his life for his sake will find it. And when after we have died, Jesus comes in his Father's glory with his angels and ushers us into eternal life in the kingdom of God. disciples of Jesus Christ, it is crucial for us to remember. To remember Christ's sacrifice for us. To remember the example of others who have come before us in their sacrifice for the sake of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the gospel. And most of all, we must remember that there may come a day when we are called to make 
that sacrifice. When we are called to be persecuted, when we are called to be killed for our faith, when that call comes, we ought to remember the reason we're being called to that. The reason we are being called to death is so that others might see us and come to faith in Christ and experience life, eternal life. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for giving us a place where we can come and worship you. We thank you even for uh, this schoolhouse that we could gather in this morning. We thank you for all of the people who are here. Jesus, the things that you ask of us are impossible unless we are filled with the Holy Spirit unless we fully and completely trust God and His will. Even if we don't understand His will, Jesus, make us strong, make us willing to do whatever God asks of us in building His kingdom, even if it means being inconvenienced, even if it means being persecuted, even if it means dying, for your sake. Holy Spirit, give us that strength. Give us that courage. And we thank you for the comfort of Jesus' promises. Father, thank you that we could be here today and Lord, we pray for the families of those lost children in Texas earlier this week. Father, let the Holy Spirit comfort them. We don't know why. But Father, we ask that you would use even this tragedy open the eyes and the minds and the hearts of people and to do your will. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ who gave us everything. Amen. We've been talking a lot over the last weeks about how challenging it might be to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Pray that we can remember those who have come before us. I pray that we can stand up under whatever the enemy has for us because we know that our God is greater, our God is stronger, and our God is for us. God bless you this week.